Thank you, Brandon. <clears throat> Good morning. My name is Patrick Havens, one of the pastors here. I'd like to invite you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew, Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to be just reading verse 35 to 38. If you're using the Bible and the chair rack in front of you, it's on page 863. It's that uh, time of year again where everyone's making New Year's resolutions, right? Or maybe you're part of the crowd that realizes about 8% of the people actually do them for the whole year. So a little demotivating to be very ambitious, while that may be the case, it, I just want to advocate that it is a good time to start in a new year to think through, what is God doing in my life? As a follower of Christ, why am I here? Where am I going? What does God have for me? What, what areas does he want to um, change in me this year? In fact, we could boldly ask God, what is your goal for my life in 2023. And you know what? He could put it succinctly with this verse in Romans 8, 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's goal for our lives, to be more like Jesus this year. That, that as, as you think about any, any kind of resolution this year, whatever it is, it's going to have at its heart, okay, that this would make me more and more like the Lord Jesus. This is God's goal for, goal for us. And this, uh, this journey of becoming more Christ-like really began at conversion, if you're a Christian. If you're a follower of Christ, by faith, that's when you start to become more and more immature in Christ. Through faith, we're joined to him, filled with the Spirit. We have new direction. We're new creatures. We've been declared righteous in Christ. And yet, we're not fully where he wants us to be. So we've been definitively changed. We're, we're new people. And yet, there's a process, a progression, a growing of being more and more reflecting our new life in Christ. And that can be part of what we do when we think about um, following Jesus is, Jesus, make me more like you. Use, use these daily rhythms of church and hearing your words, spending time uh, in the Bible, uh, praying, loving people around me. Lord, may it all just shape me to be more and more like you. Jesus invites us into this journey when he said in Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. <clears throat> so to kick us off to, uh, Lord willing, a good start this new year, we're going to do a three-part sermon series today and the next two weeks on Christ-likeness. Today, we're going to preach on cultivating the heart of Christ toward people. Next week, we're going to, the sermon will be cultivating God, Christ's heart to be in the word, to hearing God's word. And then the third week is cultivating Christ's heart for prayer. So as you think about these themes of compassion for people, commitment to God's word, 
communion with God through prayer. These could be some of your goals for this year. Lord, give me a heart for people that reflects yours. Give me a love for your word that comes right out of scripture. And may this year, maybe a, a year of more prayer in my life. So we're going to do this over the next three weeks, and then we'll start a new series after that. So, so today, let's start. We're going to talk about Christ's heart for people that we want to cultivate in us. We're going to see how does Jesus view people, and that can shape us in our view as well. So let's, let's turn now and let's read our passage this morning from Matthew 9, verse 35 to 38. Matthew 9, verse 35 to 38. Let's hear God's word this morning. Matthew 9, 35. Jesus continued going around all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that this morning, the meditation of our heart would reflect yours. May the words of my mouth also be consistent, God, with what you've, with what you've uh, given us here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In, um, <clears throat> in the early 2000s, I went on an exploratory trip to India. It was, I was invited to go on it. I was a student at Trinity, and it was part of a Reach Global. They were recruiting people for church planting teams in India. And I was pretty busy. We had little kids in the house. It was last semester. I didn't even really think much about the trip. I was like, sure, I love to go. Very gung-ho, kind of like, oh, yeah, I'll do, I'll do great at this stuff. I love this, you know. And it wasn't until really on the plane on the way over that I actually picked up a book and began to think about what I was getting into. And it was called Culture Shock India. Culture Shock is a travel series of books. They have them for every country. So if you're going anywhere, you can get a culture shock to whatever country you're going to. Because that's what the experience is, right? When you grow up in one place and you never really travel around the world, you gotta, gotta get your head around where you're going to. And in the book, it described many of the attractive and beautiful places in India, really exciting. But then it began to describe, and he used a metaphor. He used a really interesting metaphor to describe what are, what's happening in some of the poor places, which happened to be the places we were headed. <laughs> These were the places we were going to go see. These were the teams were, that we were going to visit. And he used this metaphor. He says the experience is what he called seasickness. Sea sickness. Now, if I had my spiritual wits about me when I read that word, I was reading the book, I should have put it down and started praying <laughs> right away. But I kept reading. Anyway, there was many beautiful things. It was a really wonderful trip. But when we did go visit some of the areas where they were really expanding the ministry, that was exactly my experience. I felt completely overwhelmed, physically sick, un, 
done, I was, didn't want to leave my hotel, basically. <laughs> this was quite something to experience and go through. And it was like a ship at sea, rocked around, tossed, and not sure, meeting people with leprosy and these different things we were experiencing and seeing the need. But then there was my friend Chad. He was sitting right next to me. He was, we're in school together. He, he had a whole different perspective. It was on this trip that the Lord put fire under his pants, and he went back to India, and he spent many, many years serving on one of these teams. That wasn't God's plan for my life, but one of the great takeaways from that whole experience for me was to look deeper into the life of Jesus and how he responded to needs in the world. You see, when Jesus is confronted with suffering, he isn't nauseated. Uh, As he walked around seeing the sick, depressed, harassed, helpless, downtrodden, he didn't pull away. He wasn't repulsed by sinners ready to return to the comforts of his home in heaven. Instead, what we read here is Jesus sees a crowd, he feels compassion and acts. And likewise, by the Spirit, we want to cultivate his heart toward people in our life. To cultivate our hearts and minds around Jesus, let, let's, let's notice him. Let's, let's gaze upon who he is in Scripture. And there's a progression in the life of Christ. Notice uh, from verse 35 to the end, it starts with he's with people. He, he sees people. And then he feels deeply for them, deep within them. And finally, he responds and he acts on their behalf, involving us in this work. Jesus wants us to learn his heart for people. So three lessons this morning to shape our lives around Jesus. Jesus' presence, presence with people, Jesus' compassion for people, and Jesus' actions toward people. So first, Jesus' presence with people. In verse 35, there are four verbs. Four verbs. Going around, teaching, proclaiming, healing. Going around, teaching, proclaiming, healing. Jesus had a very active life. It starts with Jesus being with people. He traveled to them. He knew their faces. He was with them. He walked from place to place. He visited us. This is what we just celebrated in Christmas, the incarnation. Jesus left his eternal bliss with God the Father, God the Spirit, and he came to us. He took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. He didn't set up an earthly palace, you know, kind of separated from the poverty and the, and the troubles. No, he made his dwelling right in our midst. He walked around. He went to the big cities as well as villages, rural areas. Around Galilee, there would have been over 200 of these. You know, it wasn't impressive for a king to go to a small village. 
But Jesus would walk all day to meet one person. Every person mattered to Jesus. He went to the villages. This was his heart. He came to where we are. He came to where we lived. He came to where we couldn't leave. There's humility in King Jesus going out to the people. And it's instructive how it all starts with Jesus noticing, looking, seeing people, and he's moved toward them. Um, There's a passage in, in Luke 7, a large crowd was carrying a... The, the dead son of a widow. This large crowd was carrying a dead son of a widow, her only son. In verse 13 of Luke 7 says this, Jesus saw her and his heart went out to her. Think about it. In a large crowd, he sees one person. He saw her. His heart went out to her. He looked, he noticed her, he approached her. For Jesus, love begins by looking, by being with people. That's where, for him, that's where it begins. He travels, he looks, he sees, he sees us. And as he, he went, he knew what to do. He had good news to share. He was teaching, he had authority. He was preaching of the kingdom of God that was coming. He was healing every sickness, uh, a holistic ministry of Jesus, of body and soul, word and deed. Jesus preached the good news and he demonstrated the good news in his actions and his power and authority. 9.35, chapter 9, Matthew 9.35, is a summary verse of Jesus' whole ministry. So we have content for how, what he taught and how he, and who he healed throughout the Gospels, the four Gospels. In fact, it's a summary verse that already was said once. So if you, if you have your Bible open, if you look at chapter 4, Matthew 4, verse 23, it's the same verse. Now, Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So 4.23 and 9.35, these are bookends capturing, summarizing the ministry of Jesus. You know, it's, and right in the middle is our, just the beautiful examples of what Jesus taught and his healing. In chapter Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus goes on a mountain, and he begins teaching, famously what we call the Sermon on the Mount. You have chapter 5, 6, and 7 of the teaching of Jesus, and his kingdom has come. And then chapter 8, Jesus comes down from the mountain, and immediately a man with leprosy meets him. He's up on the mountain teaching, proclaiming the kingdom of God, comes off the mountain, he's going to... And a man with, immediately a man with leprosy meets him and he touches him. He heals him. So this is the gospel writer's way to capture the ministry of Jesus. Going around villages, teaching, proclaiming the kingdom of God and healing every 
disease. <clears throat> it's a beautiful ministry that we are to reflect because he sends us out, we're going to find out, as well. So we're learning from Jesus. We're entering the kingdom of God by faith in Christ. It's a kingdom we did not expect. It's a kingdom of humility. It's a kingdom of service. It's a kingdom of compassion. It's a kingdom going to the least of these. And yet it's a ministry to the very people he came to to uh, visit. And you get an idea, <laughs> just looking at chapter 8, now you get an idea of who Jesus came to minister to. As he, You can imagine being with Jesus, hearing this mountaintop teaching of his kingdom and his glory. And then the first thing you realize is, oh, he's a king that gets down where people are. Right off the mountain, in the, the leprosy. Or a centurion who servant needed healing or disciples who were really had seasickness in the sea and he calmed their fears, um, healed them. Demon-possessed people, uh, they healed a man who was on a, a paralytic. Um, there was a, a girl that died. There was a woman who had 12 years of bleeding. These are the stories. This is who Jesus came for. This is his kingdom. And that's what the disciples are just learning, like, okay, this is what loving people looks like. People who are broken, vulnerable, cast out. This is the ministry. And he's saying, this is summarizing for us the ministry of our, our Lord Jesus. The, the Greek word here for healing is used in 935. Is where it, it sounds like a word you're familiar with, therapeuo, therapeutic, if you will, it refers to healing physical, emotional, and spiritual infirmities. It's a foretaste of the age to come to a time that we study in Revelation where there will be no more disease, no more sickness, no more death. It's a foretaste. It's coming. This is the healing Jesus brings now, but not fully or completely, and yet it is to come. That's the ministry of the church, the ministry of word, a combined ministry of word and deed, ministry of listening and looking and feeling compassion. Um, as the disciples were with Jesus going around seeing this, they were witnessing firsthand the heart of Christ. He meets people where they are, and he comes to them. Um, it's been more than 70 years ago when Reverend Everett Swanson flew from Chicago to South Korea during the Korean War of North and South Korea. He, he went over to minister to the American troops that were serving over there. But while he was there, he was deeply struck by the war-torn impact on children and the orphans. He was deeply moved by this. And it was in the winter months, and there were orphans in the streets during the winter who had froze to death, and he witnessed it. He came back seven years ago. This man come back. He's praying his flight over. What can we do? And God moved him, deeply moved him, to begin to rally, uh, call people, and he started what is now known as Compassion International. Seven years ago, all just from seeing people 
and being moved by it and asking God, what do you have me do? And they've been sponsoring children around the world, and it's been a very effective, fruitful ministry. But one day, the kingdom of God will come in great power and glory and fullness. In the meantime, we see this here. So this is our first point, that Jesus' presence with people. Secondly, Jesus' compassion for people. And our second and third point are really two metaphors. Jesus gives two metaphors here. The first one in verse 36 is he sees people as sheep without a shepherd. And the next verse, the metaphor changes to a harvest that is ready and needing to be gathered. So let's look at this first one, sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is full of compassion because he sees people as sheep without a shepherd. We're going to look at the background of this metaphor and this phrase and also the far reach of this compassion. As Jesus traveled around firsthand, he saw the crowd, and they were in bad shape. He uses this word, they were distressed and dejected, harassed, bullied, bruised, helpless. They were barely making it. They were on thin ice. It was held by a thread. They were vulnerable, without protection, ultimately leaderless, and thus easily led astray and manipulated. That's, that's what he sees. Now, keep in mind, this is how Jesus sees us, you and I. Before he's our shepherd, this is how he sees us, unable, unable. This is not a flattering description of humanity. <laughs> you know, it's not a compliment to be compared to a helpless sheep. I, wouldn't you much rather be like compared with a lion or even a golden retriever would work? I've seen movies. I've seen movies of golden retrievers getting lost in the woods, in the middle of nowhere, traveling over you know, rivers and through wolves and, and finding their way home. I mean, that's, that's impressive. Man, that, that'd be... No, it's sheep who get in the wilderness and they're eaten alive. <laughs> We're not being compared. You're, you're, not get, you're not an alligator out there who's going to live. This, you're a sheep who will suffer. Well, how did humanity get into such a terrible situation? Desperate. It didn't start this way. God created the world. He sustains the world. The triune God created humanity in his own image, men and women created to reflect him, to know God, to love him. So people were made by God, thus it means we were made for God. But there was a revolt to God's leadership over us. By our own volition, we turned our own way, we rebelled, and now we are unable to save ourselves. We left the only leader who loved us to go under usurpers and false leaders and ourselves. So this expression, sheep without a shepherd, has a storyline to it. Actually, an Old Testament reference. Um, this is what God told one of the prophets, Ezekiel, in chapter 34, and he uses this metaphor Listen to this. I'm just going to read the passage just from Ezekiel 
34, chapter 1. The, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, butcher the fat animals, but you do, not, you do not tend the flock. You've not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. My flock went astray on all the mountains and every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and there was no one searching or seeking for them. And then he goes on. But this is what the Lord says. See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he's among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, strengthen the weak. After centuries of rebellion and this spiritual abuse that the people were scattered everywhere, God himself promised he would come. He would come. That's God's son, the second person of the eternal trinity, became a man to be our shepherd, sent because he's on the same mission as his father, to come gather his sheep. And he involves us in this ministry. That's good news. We were lost. We couldn't get to God our own way. So God came to us in Jesus. He, Jesus, is the shepherd. We've been scattered. And think about, that's the background. When you think about Jesus' compassion for people, he's on mission. He was sent by his Father to do this well. And notice, secondly, in this second point here, the, the extent of this compassion, the, the far reach of this compassion in the life of Jesus. The word compassion alludes to kindness, sympathy, but not mere sentimentalism. It's not a standoffish, willful desire to just pity people but have little involvement. It's more than that. In, even in English, captures, captures the word for compassion. If you looked at that definition, it means to suffer with someone. Compassion is suffer with someone. Compassion means someone else's heartbreak becomes your heartbreak. That's compassion. True compassion led Jesus to get involved. In Matthew 8, 17, the chapter over, we read here that that was what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah that was fulfilled in Jesus, that he himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. Our suffering became his. That's what compassion was for Jesus. Jesus' compassion, think of the far reach of this. It went all the way to the cross. Jesus' compassion led him to die for a people, to rescue them. The Bible puts it like this, referring to Christ. 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As Richard Sibbs said it so well, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. This is what Jesus came to do for harassed sheep. He came to rescue them. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost, to be their leader, to take us under his wings and shepherd us each day of our lives and into eternity. Jesus is the Savior and Lord we desperately need. This Jesus who died also rose again. He reigns right now from heaven, shepherding us through his spirit, through the ministry of the word as a Christian uh, community. We give our lives to him. We throw ourselves on his compassion. And this is what he does for us. <clears throat> do, you, do you believe this about Jesus, that he's full of compassion for you? Uh, let, let's say you're in that crowd <clears throat> and you were looking at, at Jesus. You know, you, you could probably tell by his body language he was feeling compassion because you can tell by body language, if someone's angry at you, right? You know, you know what the anger looks like. Your body's tense, face turned red, eyes are, you're in trouble. Um, <clears throat> raised voice, fists clenched. What would compassion look like in seeing Jesus? Uh, it'd be very relational, you know, Eyes catching yours, tender words, kindly speech, moving towards you with care, a gentle touch. Uh, that's, you know, that, that, and that's what Jesus was. That's what people were experiencing. And you have to take all the people's experiences for this because this is the far reach. This is what's recorded for us. The far reach of compassion, his Consistent response. Corey Tim, Tim Boone said, There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Um, there's a great uh, theologian, B.B. Warfield, and he said this about Jesus' emotion of compassion. The emotion which we should naturally expect to find most frequently attributed to Jesus whose whole life was a mission of mercy and whose ministry was so marked by deeds of benevolence that it was summed up in the memory of his followers as going through the land doing good. It's no doubt compassion. In point of fact, this is the emotion which is most frequently attributed to Jesus. So take it from everyone's experience with Jesus. They were experiencing compassion. And why wouldn't you experience it? Why, why, why are we slow to believe it? It's his most frequent response to the people around him. Jesus' heart is full of compassion all the time. Compassion, you know from the Old Testament, is an attribute of God our Father. You can study this. 
And we see it lived out in the life of Christ. And the Apostle Paul wrote this in Colossians to Christians, and he gave us this command. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion. First word, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Like Christ, we are to be full of compassion. He's already done the heavy lifting for us, going his compassion brought him to the cross. Now we respond in his grace and the strength he supplies. Compassion, compassion doesn't mean we overlook sin. It doesn't mean we're not righteously angry at the injustices in the world. But it means that we should have the attitude of Christ to be deeply moved at the people around us, like a mother for her child. And we need to ask ourselves, in what situations do I tend to draw back, look away, ignore? What is is it saying about my faith in Christ when I can't talk to someone who's really, really different than me? What is that saying about my trust in Jesus, my Christ-likeness? That my, I roll my eyes maybe over a crowd as opposed to feeling compassion for them. See, the enemies of compassion will be feelings of superiority, pride, legalism, self-righteousness. These are, the, these are our battles to seek repentance of to get the heart of Christ. If we forget the gospel that we've all fallen short, that I was a sheep, he came and rescued. If I forget the gospel, I will lack compassion for the world. One uh, counselor and author put it this way, compassion is hard because it requires the inner disposition to go with others to the place where they are weak, vulnerable, lonely and broken. Our common response is to flee from those places. Or we'd prefer a quick fix for your troubles, for your heartaches. But he goes on to say, if we do this, we ignore our greatest gift, which is our ability to enter into solidarity with those who suffer like Christ did. So we can pray, we can grow in these areas by his grace. Jesus sees the crowd, feels compassion, and thirdly, he acts, involving us in his mission. So his third, Jesus' actions towards people. Verse 37, he said to his disciples, so he switches metaphors, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord, of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. The first metaphor of sheep without a shepherd emphasizes opportunity. The second metaphor, abundant harvest, emphasizes urgency. It's ready, but there's a problem. There's a labor shortage. That's what Jesus is saying. By What he means by harvest is abundant or harvest is plentiful, what does he mean? He means, Jesus is saying this, there are a large number of people who are ready 
to be loved. There are a large number of people who are ready to hear the gospel. That's what he's saying. Other parables of Jesus might emphasize, you know, sowing seeds or removing stumbling blocks so people could hear the gospel. Those are other sermons, other passages. But this one, look what he's saying in this one. He's saying the harvest is ready. And it's a bumper crop. It's huge. The harvest is abundant. It's, and there's a labor shortage. It's a, it's a reminder. This, this verse is a reminder that God works through means. He works through prayer. He works through us. God works through means to get what his mission. We're to be involved in this. And there's a real simplicity in the word here when he says the workers are few, the workers or laborers. You know, there's a simplicity in that word. He doesn't say the experts are few. You know, he doesn't say the extroverts, you know, those, those types that can talk to anyone. <laughs> and, you know, like a job hazard. Oh, yeah, yeah, we know. No, you got to listen, too. Those, those people are few. He's not emphasizing, you know, some kind of unique gift out here. He uses a very generic word. Workers, workers are few. Laborers are few. A worker is a Christian who can serve another person, who can announce good news of the gospel. You don't, you don't need to go to seminary in order to be a worker sent out. This, this isn't only for pastors or missionaries. Jesus is asking for all of us to get involved, to look, to see the world, and take action, every one of us, every Christian. Um, you don't even need to have been a Christian five minutes in order to grasp the gospel and convey it to another person. <laughs> There's a beautiful simplicity, truthfulness to the gospel that all of us are ready for and equipped to. But we're, obviously, there's some problem here of a labor shortage. I remember as a kid growing up, um, my grandfather had hay fields and, and a harvest time. And so we would go up there. My dad would bring all of us up there. We were all involved in this thing of baling hay and all these different things they were doing. And that's the kind of idea here is everyone's got a place. You can serve. There is no sense where God's not going to use us in our everyday life. God's going to use our ordinary vocations for his harvest. We trust God will call some to full-time Christian ministry so that they can equip and train more others. But the vast majority of us will, have, will be Christians in everyday professions, teachers and lawyers and electricians and business owners and uh, working with people. But we don't neglect, though, Okay, but we could all rush into this, right? But it's so important. Don't neglect the order. Jesus states this here. The command is in verse 38. And notice it, what it's not saying. He didn't say, hey, the harvest is plentiful, workers are few, therefore get busy. Go recruit, raise money, organize what needs to be done, form a committee. 
go figure it out. Look what he says. Pray. Earnestly ask. Beseech the Lord of the harvest. That can almost feel anticlimactic, especially for Americans. You're like, get this done tomorrow. Um, this, this just doesn't feel as zealous, right? Pray. Um, but this is because we want to do it in our own strength. We're, we want to do it in our own ingenuity. And that will grieve the spirit. Prayer reminds us that speaking to a lost world comes from speaking with God. Serving a lost world will come from the strength God supplies. This is for his glory. This is God's harvest. Notice it says that. This is the Lord's harvest. It's, these are his people. He's, his heart is in this more than yours, more than mine. This is his work. This is God's world. God cares more about this than we do. We begin with humbling ourselves before God. We begin with relating to God, communing with God, connecting with our Father. We ask for wisdom. We, what, what do you, what do you, we pray so we might grow to be more like Christ. Before Jesus did anything, he prayed. He communed with God. He walked in the Spirit. He looked to God to provide how much more should we? As we read in verse 38, now, it's true that prayer is not the only thing we do, but we definitely shouldn't act without prayer. Doing ministry in our own strength is aiming to seek God's glory for ourselves. It's working in our own strength. Compassion leads to prayer. Prayer leads to mission and care and involvement with people. And the more dependent we are on God, the more humble we are with people. And the result is that God will send us out. He thrusts us forward. Not, not for me, you know, not a pastor putting you on a guilt trip, <laughs> coercing you, heaping shame and all that. That is not Jesus' way of moving people into ministry and serving and if, and if that ever is your experience, confront that pastor and just say, you got to pray more. <laughs> Give with the Lord. Let the motive be out of a relationship with God. We, this is not uh, the shepherding part of this is to love. Disciples, now what's interesting, we didn't read this, but in chapter 10, guess what happens? They are immediately sent out. I'll just, I'll just read the first verse. Summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and heal every disease and sickness. So right away, here you are praying. You open your eyes, and then Jesus sends you out. You're the answer to the prayer. And you know, these 12 disciples, they were a fruit of Jesus praying. Jesus prayed all night before he chose these 12 disciples. Jesus spent all night on a mountain with God praying, and then he chose these 12 so this is the fruit of Jesus' praying for workers and laborers, partners with him. So maybe that would shape our praying as a church. As you're praying this year, we need a spirit to gift us for this work. Let's cultivate Christ's heart for us as people in 2023. 
By faith, we're united to Jesus. And as we've seen, it all starts with being with people, seeing people, feeling deeply compassion for them. And then we're praying, we're asking God, raise us up, Lord. Use us in this world, broken world, vulnerable world. Use us as your good workers here with our, in our homes and our neighborhoods. And we ask, God, you would send some of us even to the ends of the earth. All for your glory, God. Do this work. So let this passage, reminder of how Christ felt compassion for people, let that begin to cultivate in us this desire for people this year. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Jesus, for not turning away from us because there was a lot to turn away from. Uh, People in unbelief, people in sin, people um, oppressed, people hurting. Uh, Lord, you, you saw us in our darkness. We, and you came to us, Jesus. So thank you. We thank you for having compassion all the way to the cross. And Jesus, that's how you see us right now from heaven. And we pray that you would shape us by your grace to have your heart for those around us. Lord, help us. Convict me. Convict any of us, Lord, of ways we're not feeling compassion toward those around us, Lord. May this be a year of growing in more Christ-likeness of your heart toward people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.